0: What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome in to yet another edition of the Open Run Podcast, presented to you by none other than War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm back once again with my friend, co-host, my partner, Josh Hicks. How you doing? Always a pleasure to be on the mic with you, my brother. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's been a busy week, a lot of games going down across the association. College basketball season is tipping off. Got a lot of basketball to talk about. But first and foremost, want to get into the Chicago Bulls, the hometown Chicago Bulls, that is. Started off the week rather strong. Big-time wins against the Nets on national television, as well as the Hornets at home in their only home game the past week. But just as they started the week, you know, after a great start, went off on a a bit of a rough, rough skid, if you will, to close it out lost against the Boston Celtics in a close game that they sought to come back from, but yet fell short, as well as against the Toronto Raptors to close out the week on the road down in the sixth. What's your thoughts looking at this Bulls team after, you know, we thought that they were getting to a point where they were finally getting away from playing 500 ball. looked like they were trying to build a winning streak, but now they're on a two-game losing skid
1: as of this recording. Man, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of different things that's going on with the Bulls. You know, when you talk about, when you talk, we can talk about, obviously starting off with the positives. Positive side is, Patrick Williams is being that much more aggressive at times 10 now. And he's looking more for his job and he's, and he's been really good at picking and choosing the situations that he wants to exploit when he is on the floor, especially when it comes to playing with the big three that we have in the city. So, He's, he's learning more how to play on and off the ball, and he's learning how to exploit every situation he can when he does have the ball and even when he doesn't have the ball. So that's a positive sign for the Bulls because that's what we wanted out of Patrick Williams, wanting to be more aggressive on his play offensively and defensively. And, it's, and his teammates are seeing that, and they want him to continue to that. But the problem is you need to figure out what to do when one of your superstars is not balling when they need to be balling. And one of the reasons why is because you see, I feel like we're going back to last year where it's all, where it's Debo time It's Debo time. He's always the one that has to drop the 25, 30 plus points every game. Vooch Vuce has Vuce came out very strong this year, but in the last couple, last couple of games, depending on how things go have been kind of hit or miss. He was actually very key in the Boston Celtics loss. Uh, unfortunately, came down the stretch hitting those big three pointers to help keep the Bulls up close and up front. But the reality is, I'm, I know Zach Levine is healthy enough to play back to back games. He's playing tonight as we record this on a Wednesday from a back to back game. But dude, where are you at, man? You're only averaging like 15 points throughout the stretch. I need, he has to be able to step up in ways where we thought this was supposed to be his team this year. He was supposed to be the front, the front guy while Debo carries, follows behind him. It it just looks like it's a lot more of last year when it comes to Debo leaving the front offensively and Zach Levine just trailing behind and scoring where he can. That's not the uh, the Bulls know where that got them last year, and if you want to change that from just a playoff team to an advanced playoff team, which includes potentially finals runs, you're not gonna be able to do it with Debo at the front. Zach, you gotta take the lead, and others will follow. And um, right now, that's what's really happening where start off strong. You saw in the the first game with the Nets, Zach Levine took over that game and dropped 20 in the fourth quarter. Like, that's what helped the Bulls take things to that next level. And even when he played in in Charlotte, he, you know, they didn't have the best games. They didn't have the best uh, games, per se. But, you know, he he contributed in ways that even though Deebo had had a bad game, even though Vuce didn't have the best game. He was still one of the ones that still at least got things over the hump. Non-existent in the Boston Celtics game. Non-existent in the Raptors game. He has another chance to play tonight as we're recording this. Hopefully things will change. But the Bulls have to stop going to Debo ball every game. That has to be more of an inclusive game format in ways, just like it was with the Charlotte Hornet game. They, the big three didn't have their best line, best scoring lineup per se. Javante Green led the team with 17 points. Goran Dragic led the, led the, led the second uh, second leader scorer of that team with uh, 16, along with Patrick Williams. So th- it needs to be more of a collective unit and it's rallying. I, w- I would love to see more rallying around Zach Levine taking that leadership role offensively compared to Debo and Demar Derozan, because we know we can get out of Demar Derozan, but we can go so much further as Zach Levine was at the forefront.
0: Yeah, and Zach is a guy who. I think all Bulls fans, including myself as a spectator and just observer of the league in general, we want to see a lot more from, although I think he's just not starting to find himself rhythm-wise to start the year. I think we got a little glimpse of what can come off of that big-time fourth quarter he had out in Brooklyn when he really had the high hand from arc and you know, was getting to the cup and wheel finishing as well. I think we want to see him attack more, um, that's been one of the biggest complaints I, I've seen from a lot of fans and analysts, you know, across the league. But he's only played in I think what six or seven games thus far, so it, it's going to take him some time. And I, but I do agree with you. At some point, you do have to find a way to get away from Debo's heroic acts and play together. I also need to see guys be more committed to having a next man up mentality. This mm-hmm. team is missing Andre Drummond to a great degree. And you got a chance to see that during this past weekend in the game against Toronto, where the Bulls got out rebounded by 10 in a game that they ended up losing by nine. I think Dalen Terry provided a lot of spark and energy off of the bench, as well as Derrick Jones Jr. Um, protecting the rim. But this team continues to struggle with rebound, when their best rebounder, and I'm not ashamed to say it, even though it's his first season, he submitted himself as the team's best rebounder when he's played. And Andre Drummond is not a favorite. That has to change. And another thing that has to change as well is guys just chucking up shots. Like yesterday, Debo was getting double teamed. Yeah, he, I believe he had about – he scored a double figures, but he only attempted nine shots. Mm-hmm. And when he had to kick it out, you had a lot of guys taking shots that were uncharacteristic, just forcing shots, weren't even taking shots with confidence. That has to change. Guys have to be more aggressive. I, I like the way that Patrick Williams has played over the last several games. I think he stepped it up and realized that. I know that he didn't really close out the game particularly well against Boston, but this is a Bulls team that fans need to understand and realize is still trying to learn how to win games in clutch time. And I know that this is a team that fans want to see get to the finals. However, you got to crawl before you walk. This is a franchise that has not won in the first round of the playoffs, I believe, since 2015 when they beat Milwaukee. This is a new court. Derrick Rose ain't coming through that building no more. Joe King Nolan not coming through the building no more. Jimmy Butler not coming through the building no more. They have to learn how to win together as a group, and it starts now. And I think Nikola Vucevic has played extremely well as of late, but in stretches. He has to find a way to do that more consistently. You saw it in Toronto where he had 10 points in the first quarter, getting on the block, getting hook shots, getting in the post, which is where he's best at. But he did something that he said that he didn't plan on doing this year in the team's media day he started settling for three-point shots. And when that shot's not falling, he becomes more of a liability to the offense than an asset to the offense. They got to find a way to get him isolated on mismatches, particularly in the post, so he can take advantage and eat down there. And when they move the ball like they did in the win against Charlotte, they benefit and play fairly well. But when that ball stops moving and that offense gets stagnant, the game changes. And there have been too many times where the Bulls have failed to really put together a true 48-minute game. You know, like 12 minutes here and there, good. Next 12 minutes, not so good. They, To me, they lost against Toronto in the second quarter hmm. on the first half of the back-to-back that they had. They lost that game in the second quarter. And then you get now rebound. You know, like Coloco looked like a man amongst boys, and that's a rookie. So I I I I got I got to see more from them, and I look forward to seeing it. But I don't think that this is a team that we can truly truly judge until you see a healthy Zach Levine in the mix with Lonzo Ball, and because in my opinion, as they currently stand constructed, they got some moves that they need.
1: Well yeah, that's one of the things that's you know been notified honestly since Lonzo Ball's been down even last year. It was very clear that some moves needed to be made in certain areas for the Bulls to excel to the next level. But the Bulls have already made it known. This is the quarter we're sticking with. We want to see them all fully healthy. We believe they're all capable of performing. And in some ways, there is some truth to that. Billy Donovan talked about uh, seeing some improvements from each, each of the players' games. Patrick Williams, even though he's not the player he wanted to be just yet, you can see he's made some improvements. Same with Javante Green and his jump shot; he's made some improvements. There are players that have, you know, elevated their games in some way, shape, or form to help keep this team somewhat afloat compared to last year when you had a huge dip off. But it doesn't change the fact that yeah, like you said. They need some. We need to be able to play a full 48 minutes game of basketball, which we have not done in the Billy Donovan era. And on top of it, you got to do it with your main guys. We've tried it with Debo. We saw how far that can take us. It's the only, only person that's going to change this narrative is Zach Levine and a healthy Zach Levine that's going to take us to the next level. Yes, Lonzo Ball is one of the main uh, engines that keep this team running. We all know that on both ends on the floor. That's a given. But right now, he's not playing You just signed your max, you just signed Zach Levine as your max player, the first player of your history over $200 million over five years. You have made it known to the public, this is what he's getting paid for. For moments like this, to be the leader, to step up and to ball and carry the team in the direction that needs to go, to go further than where they went last year. This is what he signed up for. So as much as you're right, yeah, we can't really judge this team until everybody's fully healthy. Yes, they have their issues on both ends of the floor, and there are some inconsistencies that need to be fixed. However, players players are getting paid to be the top talents of this league, and that would is your main guy. So if he is your main guy and that surgery says he's fully healthy, and yes, knee management, I get it. We got to make sure he stays healthy throughout the season. But if he's on the court, I expect him to ball out every game. You are the max player, and you're the leader of this team. So therefore – I need you to come out and do it every game. That's just my expectation of Zach knowing that now he is supposedly fully healthy, no more injury, no more surgeries and things of that sort. You're ready to go. I know it's going to take a little time, but it's time to rack it up, especially since you are seeing repeats from last year. When you talk about the repetition of relying on DeMar, DeMar DeRozan's heroics instead of you being that fill-in guy and the leader of that offense while you know to actually take the team to the next level, and not having to rely so much on DeMar DeRozan.
0: I understand exactly what you're saying. That's that's well said. But I want to segue into a big-time story that came out just shortly following last week's recording of episode three of Open Run involving a team that we talked about last week and continuously has stayed in the NBA news at the top of it since the start of the season. That's the Brooklyn Nets. And not for the best reason. On Tuesday last week, the Brooklyn Nets and Steve Nash made an agreement to part ways as the team issued an announcement in a special news release less than 24 hours following Brooklyn's 116 to 109 win against Indiana at home on Halloween. Nash went on to release a personal statement, as we all got a chance to see across Twitter. Thanking this owner, Joe Sy, and general manager, Sean Marks, who he has a great history with, They back to his playing days when they played together in Phoenix. Shortly after the team issued the announcement, amidst Brooklyn's two and five start to the year through the first seven games of the year, Nash, who guided the Brooklyn Nets over the last two and a half years, led Brooklyn to a 94 and 67 record during the course of his center, including back to back playoff appearances along the way. Following the pardon of Nash, the Nets announced that their lead assistant coach, Jacques Vaughn, bon, who served as Brooklyn's interim head coach following the firing of Kenny Atkinson back two years ago, will take over as the interim head coach once again, while the Nets search for a permanent replacement at this time. As we know, Josh, let's get to it. Let's cut to the chase, man. From the moment Nash arrived in Brooklyn to take over in the lead, seat as the Nets head coach in September of 2020, Hall of Fame point guard and former MVP as a player, dealt with a series of challenges throughout his tenure with the Nets, ranging from how to direct the roster that once featured James Harden, alongside of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, on top of Ben Simmons, who they acquired as of this year, earlier this year, last season, in a trade with Philadelphia, involving Harden. Um, what were your initial thoughts on the Nash firing man? And after having a full week to fully ponder upon all of this, what are your thoughts on the state of the Nets in the wake of this move?
1: Well, let's put it this way. I've always been a harsh critic of Steve Nash. I will admit from a head coach perspective. I was a harsh critic of him. And I even said it in the last episode, if, if, I was, if I could fire him, I would. Just because not, everything is not Steve Nash's fault. Sean Marks has a role in this, and so does Joe Asai and, and Joe when it comes to the makeup of this team. However, when you have players on your team that don't want to have the effort or give the effort to play, that is your coach's job to get the players ready to ball every game. And it's been shown, and Stephen Nash even said it, to Sean Marks. According to Sean Marks, I lost the locker room of the team. They're not listening to me. That's a problem. That's a coaching building. That's, a, that's between the coach and the chemistry of the locker room. So because that sacred trust has been severed in such a way, you can just see every night they're not really playing for Steve Nash. So it was kind of obvious, even though it's not all Steve Nash's fault, it was time to let him go and move on because you put him in a situation that, quite frankly, he's not the, he's not the person to solve. What, what blows my mind even more is the fact, though, that as soon as you let Buddy go, you make it known to the public your first option. Is, We're going to get into that. It's Emei Udoka, right? So I'm sitting here, as I'm looking at all this, I'm like, wow, maybe Stephen A's illusion was kind of right. But at the same time, is it really that smart of a move? And honestly, just from Jock Vaughn's coaching performance this week, giving him a 3-1 to record over the past four games, that shows you right there. Maybe you might want to hold off just a little bit on making that transition. Jock Vaughn's got going to Vaughn, get into that. Jacques Vaughn got this team going. But, but to yeah, but to answer your question, I'm not surprised. I'm the only reason why I may be surprised is because I've heard that Sean Marks and Steve Nash are a package duo. So if Steve Nash goes, Sean Marks goes. Kind of makes sense. But since that is not the case, one of my wish lists for the Brooklyn Nets was to get rid of Steve Nash. The other one is for them to go get a big man. I said Dwight Howard, you met on this, you on the show mentioned DeMarcus Cousins. Both big men that can beat their uh, valuable assets to give what the Brooklyn Nets need on both ends of the floor. So I think they still have roster moves they need to make. That's a given. But the coaching salute problem right now is in good hands, it seems like. And I prefer to keep it that way, at least throughout the rest of the season. And you get a fresh start for a new coach, you get a fresh start for a new updated roster, and you ain't got to worry about all the antics that's taking place right now, especially behind what's going on with with Kyrie Irving and his situation?
0: I'm going to say this. I'm not surprised that Nash got fired at all. I said to you last week on the show that he was not safe and that I could see a move like this happen. However, I was surprised by how quickly it happened. Because if you had told me following the recording of last week's episode of Open Run, that he was going to get fired going into Tuesday morning, I'd have said, man, you crazy. However, I do understand. And the reason why I understand is because the team needed a new voice. It was rather Mm -hmm. evident, especially with the way that they had lost the weekend prior to last weekend at the hands of Indiana. This defense was not up to par any whatsoever. Laid on rotations, guys not communicating. You know, Ben Simmons didn't seem like he was finding his footing into the flow of the offense. He also looked like he was hurt, which sooner rather than later, we ended up finding out he was because he set out for last week with a knee injury. But this team needed a new voice. I questioned Steve Nash's rotations dating back to last year in the playoffs, not playing LaMarcus Aldridge. A guy who had success against Boston in, in the regular season didn't really go to him until, I believe, game four of the mm-hmm. playoffs when they were down 3-0 and on the brink of getting swept, which they did eventually get swept by the Celtics in that first round series a year ago. I, I think his I think the first season, he had an offense that was humming. It was among the best in the league when they were all fully healthy and Hard and Irvin and Durant. However, the, the biggest question was always going to be on the defensive end with them. But yet they, for some odd reason, during the center, they can never stay healthy. And he can never find a way to get those guys to come together. It was always a lot of tension and drama. From, you know, first with Kyrie and the vaccine mandate that was instated in New York. Then, you know, Harden his hamstring. That, that, that hampered them to a great degree. It just, it, it was always a lot going on. Kevin Durant last year got hurt. You know, it, he never really had a full chance with this group. But after seeing the way some things were going through the first several games, it was rather obvious that a change needed to be made. And I'm glad that you brought up Doc Bond early. Because we're going to get into that. As well as I made you know. Because within a few hours of Nash's departure, it was announced to the public through Adrian Wolves announced that Brooklyn was on the verge of finalizing a deal with suspended Boston Celtics head coach Ime Udoka to take over as the head coach for the Nets. Udoka, as we know, who led Boston to within in two grand of reaching the NBA title last season, was an assistant under Steve Nash in his first year with Brooklyn back during the 2020-21 campaign. And he has a relationship with Marks that goes back to their time together as players in San Antonio. On Tuesday it was announced that a formal agreement was expected soon, but reports within the last week have surfaced that higher-ups within the Nets front office, including close to owner Joe have been in his ear a lot advising him not to make that choice to go to Udoka right away who was granted permission by Boston to accept the interview with the Nets Brooklyn is, uh, Boston, excuse me, as we know, suspended Udoka for having, you know, a personal relationship with a staff member um, allegedly at, at this point that was reported prior to the start of training camp and led to suspension. Do, do I know you believe Jack Vaughn is the man for the job. You said that. Why do you believe that he is the best man to lead the Nets moving forward?
1: Well, Next, it's, it's twofold. One is best by the way that they're playing. Kevin Durant without Kyrie Irving on the floor has blossomed. It's in a crazy fashion. And you can just tell us just because of the, the, the respect that the players have for him. I've heard that the players have a lot of respect for Jock Vaughn, even back when he was at the interim coach before Steve Nash came on board, when he was coaching D'Angelo Russell and the team to the, M- to, and the Brooklyn Nets of that team to the playoffs. Um, there was a lot of respect for um, Jock Vaughn on, the, on this roster and on this team. And the players are showing it by the way that they play every night with him now. They play four games with him. They won, they've been three and one. The offense has been smoother and the defense has picked up. It may not be the best defense in the world, but at least the effort has been has, has been there. Um, so I think just off of that alone shows that Jock Vaughn currently has the voice of this locker room and guys are following suit, including their main leader in Kevin Durant. Now, do I think he's the, he's the solution for the duration of the future of this team? No, I don't. I do think you, you do need to give uh, – I think he'll be good for this season, though, especially since you have, still have to handle numerous PR nightmares that's going on within your franchise with Kyrie Irving, etc. cetera. But adding Nimei Udoka, even though from an X's and O's perspective – from a man-to-man perspective, locker room presence perspective, coaching perspective, he's that guy for them. I do believe that. However, like you said, you, just, you was just suspended for a year for breaking team violations, breaking policies that unfortunately involved women. That's not a good idea to mix that with the Kyrie Urban situation at this present moment because you haven't even fanned out that fire yet. Like you gotta be I, I just think it would be that's too much chaos to bring into a locker room after you just gave got rid of a man who could barely handle the chaos that was already sitting in that locker room. Yeah. Um, I would just I, I don't think it's just a good idea to move that just from a PR perspective, even though I do support know Udoka going to the Brooklyn Nets, especially since the situation that was that he was in did not relate to any type of crimes. It wasn't like he had lawsuits, it didn't like he had to go to jail. Warns, whatever the case may be for the situation. It was just a violation of team policies. Yes, it was wrong, but it was just something that was handled internally, they, and they moved on. You know, I think because of that scenario, doesn't discriminate him or, or limit him as an option to get the next coaching job for any team, let alone Brooklyn right now. But you, the Nets have to be smart with their PR moves, and bringing Emei Yudoka right now just does not seem like the ideal move considering you still got to deal with Kyrie Irving and his situation, and on top of that, you are winning games now. You are on the, on the you are you are shifting on the positive on the positive side of the column right now from a, from a wins perspective. So I will keep that train moving, and then revisit the coaching situation after the season and figure out who else might be even be available. Because depending on how teams go, there may even be other options outside of you, Udoka. Even though Udoka is the, probably the, probably the most ideal candidate right now. You never know if a Quinn Snyder may want to come up, come back into the coaching sure. realm. You don't know who else is going to be available, so I would just wait to the season, see, if, and then at that at the end of the season, see what all the eggs you can go after and put them in your basket to see which ones you eventually want to choose.
0: I honestly believe that that's the direction they're going to go in. Jock Vaughn is a guy for the audience. If you're not familiar with him, as we spoke on uh, a couple of times thus far in this episode. He was an interim head coach before when the Nets fired Kenny Atkinson a couple years ago, which was Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's first year in Brooklyn when Kevin Durant was recovering from the Achilles injury that he suffered in the 2019 NBA Finals against the Raptors. So he, he's been around the block before. He was also the guy that they passed up to let Nash walk into the door and become – the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And that was a move at the time that a lot of people, although they understood due to, you know, the relationship that not only Sean Marks had with Steve Nash, but also that Kevin Durant had with Steve Nash, dating back to their time together when Steve Nash took on a job within the Warriors front office next to Bob Myers. So, I wasn't too shocked by that, but Doc Bond is a guy who has been around and has experience coaching in the playoffs, albeit it was a first round exit at the hand of the Raptors. He is a, a, an assistant that's well-respected. And he was, he was really the assistant who was initially grooming Nash to be in that head coach role. Because after they passed, up on Vaughn to take Nash as the head coach. They asked Vaughn to stay on. So that's why, you know, he's still there and he's present as the interim head coach. I don't know if he is the right man for the job moving forward, but as of right now, I think he might be. Even though I Udoka knows the players in that locker room, he's coached them, he has a relationship with Kevin Durant dating back to their time together in USA basketball when Ima was an assistant on Greg Popovich's staff during the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo. So I, I, I think that he's the right man right now only because of what I'm seeing defensively. Like you said, you talked about the Nets defense, how it has improved as of late. Over the last week, I think. Just If you take the last four games, they're like third defensive rating. And even though they still can work on a lot when it comes to contesting three-point shots, Nick Claxton has stepped this game up immensely. He leads the league in field goal percentage, as we know. He's been an effective player in the pick-and-roll sets. Kevin Durant has been playing stellar basketball, and it's kind of unfortunate that it's getting overshadowed in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on um, with Kyrie Irving as well as the head coaching situation in Brooklyn after they got off to a slow start. I, I, I think he might be the guy. You know what I like that he's doing too? He's giving Cam Thomas some time to shine. Yeah. Something that Steve Nash did not do. And has made him the centerpiece in that second unit who has really contributed in the minutes that he's received thus far over the last week as a catch-and-shoot specialist. But not only is a catch-and-shoot specialist, it's shown the ability to be the playmaker that many people doubted. And he could be coming off the dribble handoffs and the picket rolls, facilitating. I think he had about six assists in the win on the uh, of this weekend against Washington prior to going into Charlotte where they came back from double digits in the fourth quarter to pull out a win against the Hornets. I I I do believe that Jock might be the best man for now. However, It all depends on where they go from this week moving forward. Mm. I don't believe that they will hire Udoka right now. But I'm not surprised by it. The thing that did surprise me with the Udoka news, though, is that Boston is so willing to let him walk that they don't even want to receive draft pick compensation for him. So that makes me really wonder what was going on because I don't understand how... You have a coach that took you to the NBA finals in his first season at the helm, and you don't want to get anything in return for him. I know the Nets are bare of a lot of assets. They did give up a ton to the Houston Rockets when they acquired James Harden. And they turned James Harden, who was a disgruntled, you know, individual towards the the, the, the last days of his tenure in Brooklyn into Ben Simmons. But I, 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 I just don't get that. I don't get that person. That's a yeah.
1: That's a good point. I mean, it, it makes you really wonder how bad, or quite frankly, what what was the, what was the, what was really behind the scenes or behind the, the scenes of the suspension. Because yeah. I mentioned the I mentioned Stephen A. Smith's, you know, illusion at the time where he said like the only reason why they did that is just so so Brooklyn couldn't get to him. I and, heard that too. And the fact that this is becoming a reality now. There has to be some truth behind that, which means to me, Boston doesn't even think he's worthy of really coaching the team, period, after what he did. Because if Brooklyn wasn't a threat, they technically could have just let him go. He could have went somewhere else. Exactly. But yet they kept him and reportedly docked his pay just so this situation doesn't happen. If that truly is, that, if that's the case, that's, that also shows how Buster really feels about him internally when it comes to how his relationship is with the team in general, not from a player's perspective, because their players were confused as heck when all this went down. But yeah, that. yeah, but from a front office perspective, where they want to hold this man hostage because they know he's good enough to go somewhere else and help a team win, knowing that maybe Steve Nash was already on the hot seat beforehand. That's, that, that just shows there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that hasn't been released yet. But maybe it was happening during that time period where they knew, okay, we can't just let him go to a rival that we just beat last year to go to the finals. We just need, we'll just we hold him hostage here. And if he wants to go somewhere else, yeah, maybe. But if it's that serious, we can't let him go to Brooklyn. I, there's, just some, there's just so many ups and downs behind the scenes that we don't know about. But this, this sheds a lot of light on what really could have been going down, which led to a suspension instead of an actual firing from, for him to allow him to go somewhere else.
0: And then you talk about not only your biggest rival, but a team that lies within the same division as you. That's just that's that's very interesting to me. That's, yeah. just, that's just very interesting to me. I mean, they got draft compensation when Doc Rivers left Boston to go to L.A. and he had years left on his contract with the Celtics. I don't understand why you wouldn't get that for Aimee Udoka. I understand that you didn't win a championship with him and that Doc did guide you to a championship in two finals within a three-year period when he was there during the Big Three era with Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. But at the same time, man, um, that's just that's just interesting. It's a very interesting situation. But I do like what Jock Bond is doing. As I alluded to, he's playing Cam Thomas. Utah, Wanta has also stepped up mm-hmm. for them off of the bench, giving them double figures in games and being a, a, a high-level impact defender, protecting the paint inside. You saw him getting a big-time block on DeMar DeRozan when they played the Bulls last week. He also mm-hmm. swatted a couple against the Wizards as well. I, I really like the energy he's provided them with, and he's also proven to be a, a nice catch-and-shoot option because I'm noticing a lot of these teams are the double KD at, the, at this present time, but he's finding a way to pass out of it with his you know long, wide refrain, and guys are hitting shots such as Joe Harris and Utah Juan Tanube and Cam Thomas, man. I, I, I'm anxious to see exactly what Jock does and brings to Brooklyn. But thus far, he's brought a lot of energy And the guys do seem excited. So I I don't really see too much change there.
1: I don't know, man. This is a way to see game for the rest of the season. I'm, We got to see what Brooklyn's going to do. I want to see how this – Kyrie. like I said, we haven't even – we're talking about Brooklyn. We haven't even talked about how Kyrie's situation in and out from an absence perspective is affecting the lineup. And what is it going to look like when he comes back? Is he coming back? Like there's so much – behind the scenes that we still haven't tapped into with the Brooklyn Nets. But at the end of the day, they have something going in the right direction. And that is Vaughn and the way he's coaching this team. And clearly they need it right now because they're sitting at the bottom of the Eastern Conference with this four and six record. And I'm one of those people that thought they were going to flip all that around this year, but that's clearly not the case. There's still some time left, obviously, of course. But your first 10 games of the year, you four and six. I didn't imagine that. So hopefully, Jock Vaughn can continue to steer the ship in the right direction as the Brooklyn Nets are handling all these on-off-the-court on, situations with their superstar, uh, you know, uh, in Kyrie Irving. We- we'll just see how things go, man. But I like what I'm seeing so far from Jock
0: Vaughn. Moving along from the borough that lies east to the city by the bay in the west, where the defending world champs recently made history in the worst way over the last week. Despite capturing their fourth championship in the last eight years a season ago, the Golden State Warriors have come out rather flat to start the season. And while some can blame it on a possible title hangover, those around the league might be led to wonder whether or not there are a different set of problems that have led to the Dubs' slow start out the gate thus far. The Dubs sit three and seven through their first 10 games of the regular season, which included a five-game road losing skid recently along the way at the hands of the Hornets, Pistons, Heat, Magic, and Pelicans on their latest road trip to kick off the year. Golden State, Josh, is the first defending champ in NBA history to get off to an 0-6 start on the road. In spite of Stephen Curry's fantastic start to the 2022-23 campaign, Yet, in spite of his solo efforts, number 30 alone hasn't been enough as the reigning finals MVP and his team find themselves in an early hole. We know there's plenty of time left in the season. You know, this team has only played 10 games like most teams thus far throughout the association. While there is plenty of time left, though, for the champs to still figure things out, what do you think has led to the Warriors' struggles as of late, man? This team... Not only have they not won a game on the road thus far to start the season, I also believe that they have not beaten a team that is over five hundred yet to start this season, which is rather telling.
1: Um, I honestly do believe it's pretty much fatigue from the last run. Um, but at the same time, the team's defense is trash. They're not playing championships. As you season. said. It. They're not playing championship defense. If you look, if you look at the rankings right now, they're ranked 20. They're tied for 24th amongst three teams: the Charlotte Hornets and the Sacramento Kings for the 24th spot in defense overall. You're not winning no games with 24 with the 24 defense. I don't care how much firepower you got. So the, the Warriors need to change their defense. A lot. Draymond Green has been very outspoken about how it's the defense. They need to change the defense. Well, let's talk about Draymond Green. You're one of the anchors of that defense. So, as one of the leaders of that defense, how are you going to change this narrative? Because people are still, you know, hounding you down for your fist fight with Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole it wasn't even a fist fight; it was a knockout WWE KO session. Like, <laughs> you weren't even fair, right? You, it's still harping you on that because you know you want a contract. You're you trying to get your bread, okay? So, what are you going to do to combat that? Are you in focus just on basketball with this defense? Because you're the leader of this defensive team. And the reality is, yeah, it's championship fatigue, but players are getting older too. Steph Curry is an exception. You know, Steph Curry is unique. His skill set is unique. So therefore, we cannot put him in that category. He's still going to be MVP Steph Curry, which he's playing right now. But Klay Thompson went through Achilles injuries, ACL injuries, not even fully playing back-to-back games now as of yet. Just started playing at the late last year. He was the, uh, as one of the final pieces to help push the Warriors along. He's not fooling himself. I know he's not fooling himself, you know. And you know Draymond Green. He's still, he's still you know, obviously he's you know still still trying to get over his stuff. But you're also trying to work on players that are that haven't got much playing time either. You know, Jordan Poole is still trying to get back into the mix of things. He's still trying to. He's still. He may, he may be still playing a little woozy from that knockout punch. But hey, you know that's part of the game. You know. So you never know how, how that's going to go, you know, when he's going to eventually get back with that. You're playing Moses Moody right now, who is great. He's shown as a good bench player, but, you know, he's still young in this game, has to play the league. And you're playing with James Wiseman. He's, this is his first season playing with the Warriors, period. And he's only 10 games in. So it's a lot of wrinkles that need to come into play that they have to iron out. And it's, And obviously a lot of it is from a youth perspective. But it's from an aging perspective, too. And combining that with the deep playoff run that they had last year to win the title, you're not going to get the same Warriors team right away. This, like you said, it's a long season, and it's going to take time for them to eventually get back into the swing of things, which I do believe they will because they have the team the depth to do it. But right now, they just need to refocus. And it's hard to do that when you're coming off a championship run and not just any championship run, it's your first run. And your, I think it's like, what is like your fourth finals appearance in six years or something like that? I, I, I think that's what it is. Yeah. That's a lot of wear and tear on your body that eventually catches up to you. So I think it's a combination of things for the Warriors. But that defense is the number one thing where you, you may not have the best offense, but if you play defense, you at least have a chance to win games, which is something the Warriors have not been able to do.
0: Man, I'm, I'm going to put it to you like this. You go and look at basketball reference right now. You look at Klay Thompson's three-point field goal percentage. The man hardly ever shoots under 35% from three. Ever. Yeah. You know what he's shooting this year? 32%. And it's not that that's just glaring. When it comes to Clay, he's not the defender that he once used to be anymore. Right, and you can tell that the injuries have taken their toll on him. And I, I, I feel for Clay Thompson. I'm not going to be somebody that, that, that completely passes him because I can only imagine how much that takes to to come back from. Him. You right. know, you suffer that torn ACL first in Game Six of the 2019 Finals. You miss a whole season. And then, as soon as you're about to come back and you're ramping up going into training camp, you tell your Achilles in a run on USC's campus, I believe, you know, with, with fellow NBA players and peers. So, I, 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 I I'm really kind of shocked by his performance shooting the three-point ball, but defensively, he just has not been there, and it's not just for him. It's the entire team, as you said, and you bring up, you know, the defensive rating. I'm going to bring up some examples to you. I'm watching a game the other night, and they're playing New Orleans, and Jordan Bull takes a three-pointer, and he hits it. But, yeah, he don't get back. And Jose Alvarado just coasts in for an easy layup. Mm-hmm. It starts with everybody on that team. Yep. And that second unit isn't playing up the par. And last but not least, the young guys, Got to grow up and they got to grow up rather quickly. James Wiseman, I understand that this is his first true NBA season playing, you know, over the course of an 82 game stretch. But as much talent as he has defensively and as much as he can impact the game by protecting the rim, being a shot blocker, he gets in foul trouble a lot, and that's a problem. I also don't see anybody outside of Jonathan Kaminga right now providing a spark. Yes, Jordan Poole, through the first few games of the year, was playing at an excellent level. He was putting up numbers and so forth. But Steve Kerr brought up a very telling point that I think needs to happen in order for this team to turn a corner. We know you can score, Jordan Poole, but we need you on this second unit to be a playmaker create for other guys, such as wise
2: yeah. such as
0: Kaminga such as Moses Moody, who can be a tremendous knockdown threat in catch a shoot situation, but you got to feed them. They got to spread the wealth, and they got to learn how to play the Golden State way, which is something that they have lost as a late, and that's moving the ball around. They have not done that to a high degree. And I think what you're going to see, I think you're going to start seeing Steve Kerr provide Jonathan Kaminga with more minutes after seeing the way that he played the other night against the Pelicans, did a good job, you know, attacking the rim, scoring off of cuts, et cetera. That's what they're gonna need in order to find themselves back where they once were, and that's at the top of the West. I'm not saying that they're done with, but guys definitely gotta step up, man. And it has to it starts with the second unit, because the second unit is the one that's been blowing. The impressive stretches that the first unit has had, even in spite of Clay Thompson's tr- struggles shooting the basketball, and that has to change as well. Don't get me wrong, because it's a make or miss leap. And when you're taking as many three point shots as he is, and especially on wide open looks, and that's what you're known for doing, mm-hmm. you got to capitalize off that, man. You, you you just got to. If he does not, then Golden State, I think is going to be pressed to have to make some moves and do some willing and dealing with the headline. and it, it might involve clay it might ha- it might involve play. It, it might have to in order for them to really get um, a valuable asset back in return that can help this team get back to its winning ways
1: you mentioned obviously the second unit in Jordan Poole let's let's bring up the pool effect right cuz the pool effect was supposed to be Jordan. Jordan Poole getting his max dollars. He's going to create and get himself a really big pool in his backyard. Everybody can come swimming in the pool. You know what I'm saying? It's going <laughs> to be pool parties all day long, baby. Well, maybe that's what the pool – maybe that was the problem and the reason why you're struggling the way that you're struggling right now. You two focus on getting that bag, and now that you got your bag, you didn't lost your values. Because what your values were when you came to the Warriors was your spark off the bench, being able to score the ball effectively, we can tell you've been shooting with Stephen Curry in the after hours of each practice because you improved your jump shot over, over time. You know, and you played a huge role in the second unit even last year to help the Warriors go over numerous uh, obstacles throughout their playoff runs to be able to win the NBA Finals. But now that you got your bag secured, that you been you and Andrew Wiggins were shot in that locker room with a champagne pile, rightfully deserving of so, rightfully deserving of that money, Now you got it. Now you got it. It's another level to this now because now you're paid. It's different when you're humble, you're humbled, you're trying to get your bag, you're working your butt to get there. And now that you see, it's a different type of grind. But now that you got your bag, there's a whole nother level of grind you have to do it because now you only have to get that. You're not only securing your bag, you need to maintain your level of play to even get a higher bag or even get more winning under your belt. And you're playing for the Golden State Warriors, a team that has won four six, four different championships in six, eight seven six, uh, seven four championships in eight years. In eight years. You in the prime of the Golden State Warriors franchise. You don't have time to be sitting there having pool parties all the time, brother. It's time for you to go do your thing in the gym. And what you're seeing right now is probably, I would like to call the, 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 the pool effect of that because you were so focused on finally getting that championship. You were so focused on finally securing that bag to a point where reportedly your own teammate had to knock your butt out in the middle of practice. Now, now that you've got your bag, now that you're secured, you feel like there's nothing left to bring to the table? Because right now you ain't bringing much of what you did uh, in your earlier years compared to the jump that you made over, the, over this past season. So, Poole got to get it together. If he's going to be the main guy in the second unit, he has to get his own act together before he can think about playmaking for other people. Because just off of his skill set alone, offensively, it's hit or miss. It's been hit or miss throughout this stretch. And throughout those hit and misses, it's awesome. It's been real flashy, but it's been real dull, too. You need to find that common ground to where you can not just do your thing, but like you mentioned, play make for other people. Because now, you've not, now you're a secure situation. And the Warriors are bringing more assets to the table than what you had last year to get over the hump, knowing that they're starting their big three isn't what they're used to be. So you gotta. So if you want to be the future of this franchise, which they currently paid you and Andrew Wiggins to be, there's, be a, diff, there's a different set of rules that apply to you. He's getting that wake-up call seeing what those rules are like because now Steve Kerr is calling him out. Now Draymond Green is calling him out. People are calling him out. They ain't never called him out before. You, this is what happens when you finally take that next level. Now it's time for him to, to start to, to, you know, to start living up to those expectations.
0: And not only when you you, you get to that next level, but you among the hundred. You know, because mm-hmm. when you got that title, you the team that everybody's hunting for. But before we move on, I want to ask you real quick, Josh, do you think Golden State needs to make a movement in, in order to repeat its champions? Do you do you think this team really need to make a a, a serious trade when in the months to come? I, I know it's early, I know it's a lot of basketball left to be played, but like you said, this team. When you when you when you make it to the finals as much as they have, they won four titles in the last eight years. They got to the finals in 2019, lost to the Raptors in six in an attempt to three peat and fell short. Do you think they need to make a move, man? Because this team really—they're not getting no young. Granted, they got they got several young pieces alongside of them, but like their core. The core going to need a little bit of help. I, I think they need to make a move, but not that
1: drastic of a move. I think they okay. need to make a move to where the role players are more amplified in their roles. And more specifically, from a big man perspective. You got James Wiseman at your centerpiece, and that's a piece you never had before. But he's young, and he has a long ways to go to get to the level that the Warriors need him to be to take that extra step especially when you talking about three-peating and you're being hunted the way that the Warriors are. I will go out there and try to get a veteran big, someone that can bring Wiseman along, someone that can play solid minutes off the bench along with Wiseman, and so that way they can push Wiseman even more to that starting position. Um, and that way, you not, you not only have additional depth for just in case Wiseman does go down, but you also have someone that, quite frankly, depending on that veteran big man, can, be that, can bring that extra energy and hunger that they want if they're willing to win a championship, like a Mo Spates was when they first won their titles, or David West, you know, someone along those lines who they know they can still ball in the game and they still can bring a lot to the game, but since they never won that ring before, it brings a different type of energy to the mix, and they can honestly help, re, they can, maybe they can help rejuvenate and reignite the fire that the Warriors had even last year when everybody was counting them out, and they came out of nowhere and snatched that championship. I, I, I think you just need a different energy boost on that, on that team. And why not get it from a big man that can help change, the, change those realms and getting another, and, and you know, taking the Warriors to that next level, even if, they, even if they already won a, won a ring? Someone like, like we mentioned the two guys all the time, Dwight Howard and DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins hasn't won a ring, but he knows what it's like to get to the finals because he was with that team before. I'm pretty sure if he had another chance, he'll want to take advantage of that. Dwight Howard's won a championship, but he's been blackballed out of the league ever since. If he wants to get another ring and get, get back to playing the way that he's talking, put him on the – he talked about joining the Warriors and how he'll be a great mentor for them, for James Wiseman. You get him on there, you might be able to do something. So I think that type of move is something that the Warriors
0: need. I got another name for you that they could probably go after. Even though he doesn't have a ring like Dwight, you know, earned a couple years ago with the Lakers, he could sure as hell help. You know, from a depth standpoint, when Wiseman gets in the foul trouble, and that's a sign Whiteside. He's still, you know, know, that's a guy who we know is an elite-level shot blocker. And this team has had a tremendous difficulty when it comes to protecting the rim, dating back to the time Andrew Bogut left. Yes. So, I – I think that that's a move that they should seek to make. And I don't think it has to be a big move at all. It doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be a blockbuster trade, but probably getting a veteran big of that caliber, such as the ones you mentioned, as well as me and on Whiteside, Whiteside, Howard, or Cousins, and possibly a veteran wing that may hit the market. You might, you might want to see, like, I'm not saying that this happens, but you might want to take a, a a a call with James Jones and see maybe if Jay Crowder is available. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's gonna cost you some, but you 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 might. I think that would be if, if it was a big move. I think that would be the move. Although I think that in order for the Suns to do that, you're talking about a multi-team trade, and that's a lot to get into. And that's a different subject for another day. Right. And I, I want to move into, you know, talking about a trio of squads who received some unfortunate news regarding key pieces trying to make their way back into the playoffs, including a couple of guys in particular who could likely be out of action for a month or so, if not long. Um, Earlier this week, uh, last week rather, James Harden, Cam Johnson, and Pascal Siakam, all of the Sixers, Suns, and Raptors respectively, had suffered some injuries that could keep them out for an indefinite amount of time. James Harden will miss up to a month of action after suffering a tendon strain in his right foot against the Wizards. Meanwhile, down in the desert, Cam Johnson is set to undergo surgery for a torn meniscus in his right knee and has been ruled out indefinitely after suffering the following mishap during the latter portion last week against Portland. While another All-Star who was in the midst of a career year Has also been ruled out and definitely is set to be evaluated in this couple of weeks. Toronto Raptors forward pascal Siopkin was recently diagnosed with a right-adductor strain after exiting late in Toronto's contest against Dallas over the weekend. As of this recording, the Sixers currently sit 11th, Josh, in the East with a 4-6 record. Raptors and Suns both sit 5th and 1st in the East and West, respectively. Toronto boasts a 6-4 record, while Phoenix has a 7-2 record thus far on the year. Although no one who's a true fan of the game likes to see guys get hurt, especially guys get their season cut short to injury. Among these three teams, being the Sixers losing Harden to the torn uh, the tendon strain. The, the the Suns losing Cam Johnson to torn meniscus and Siakam being lost by the Raptors to an adductor strain. Which team among these three do you believe will be hampered the most by this recent news, man? Because, uh, I mean, Cam Johnson was in the middle of career. He's putting up 13 points, 43% shooting from deep. Just earned a, a starting spot in the rotation after the, the whole day crowd of Gasco with the front office uh, in, in, down in Desert Phoenix. Who, who, who going to suffer the most, man, you think?
1: Well, honestly, I'm not going to lie. That was a tough one. So you have you have me stuck on this one, man. But I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pick Pascal Siakam and the Raptors. And this is why. Because Siakam is such a dual threat on both ends of the floor for the Raptors that I don't know if the Raptors have enough to carry themselves without Siakam on the floor. Now, granted... You know, they just played the Bulls at home. They beat the Bulls by nine. We're watching the as as we're currently recording this podcast right now at 8.33 Central time. I got the Bulls game on right now. They're down by 10 with three minutes left in the first half. Mm. If the, if, if if Siakam was playing this game, I guarantee right now it would probably at least be tied or they might even be leading. That's how much of an impact Pasto Siakam is. And, Could it be a blessing to describe this guy for players like Scotty Barnes, who's emerged in such a way? Oh, yeah, because now you're giving him the keys to the team. Now you're saying, all right, bro, he's gone, so (laughs) here you go. Fred, go to work. You know, like, that's great for those guys from a development perspective, but they only go as far as Siakam will let them go. And with Siakam being out of that lineup, he just brings too much offensively and defensively Where for me. I don't think the Raptors have enough enough to get over that hump. So that's why I'm going with Toronto. Philly, you may not have Harden, but you still got Tyrese Maxing and Jordan B. You'll be fine over time. And they honestly play better together without James Harden historically since he's arrived in Philadelphia. So that's a pop, that's a plus for them. We're talking about Phoenix, yeah Cam Johnson, like you said, career year. He's doing all the great, great work in that starting lineup. But the Phoenix Suns went to the NBA finals for a reason. They they they're they still a pretty pretty much put together team they can at least keep it afloat with the leadership of Chris Paul and Monty Williams, and they got what they got over there in Phoenix. And you still got Mikael Bridges, even though you know Cam Johnson. Uh, is, they play the same position. Mikael has shown to be that that two way that elite two way player that has earned Defensive Player of the Year voting, and was I think I think second in voting last year for Defensive Player of the Year. So Darryl, he can cover the he can cover that loophole for a little while 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 uh, Cam Johnson recovers. Toronto doesn't have any of that. It's pretty much Siakam or Bust from that perspective. And I just don't think Toronto has enough to get over the hump. So I think si- I think Toronto and the Siakam injury is the most impactful one that's going to that's make a dent from these teams from a, from a progressive perspective.
0: For me, man, I, out of all these teams, I had to think about this one for a while myself. I honestly believe that that Harden injury is a setback for Philly, and I'm going to tell you why. We know as great as Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid are together, we know Joel Embiid has an injury history. We also know that this guy has been dealing with plantar fasciitis during the offseason, which came out during the early days of the season following the Sixers' loss against the San Antonio Spurs during the opening week of the season which Doc Rivers alluded to that mm-hmm. in front of the media after keeping it silent throughout the whole entire summer the within house. The reason why I think that that's a big injury is because James was finally starting to find himself in that offense. Mm. He was starting to finally figure out how to pick and choose his spots on when and where to attack and look for his, as well as finding other guys around him. Now, it can be a silver lining in that because Tyrese Max. We know it's going to get more minutes, and he's going to feast off of it. He's going to do his thing. Tobias Harris, I think, it could also benefit. As he stepped up recently and had some big-time games for the Philadelphia 76s as of late. But they can't really afford to have too many injuries with their roster as top-heavy as it is, especially with the schedule that they currently have coming up, man. And I'm going to take the time to pull it up for you guys because this is a team, man, that, like, even though they are four and six, their schedule not getting any easier. Like, as of this recording, they're playing Phoenix. They play the Hawks on Thursday at, in Atlanta. Then they play the, the Hawks on Saturday in Philly. They got the Jazz. And we all know Utah is no joke right now. They're one of the hottest teams in all of basketball. Then you got Milwaukee. Then you got Minnesota. And then you got Brooklyn. This all throughout, this is up until November 22nd. That's your schedule. And, like, they got to find a way to adjust rather quickly and fast. Because if they don't, they could be free-falling even further in the Eastern Conference, which they currently sit within the playing range right now. Like I said, it's still early, but I, I think that's an injury that could really hamper them. I, I believe that Toronto will be fine. Christian Colopo is an impressive young rookie. I think he's a guy that should have been a first-round pick, and I think he's going to get a chance to show a lot of people why and see how it comes action, absence, if you will. I think Scotty Barnes will also play rather well. Fred VanVleet, they just got back, which is which is a big-time move. As far as Phoenix... I'm not really too worried, but I will say this. Even though Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges play the same position, Cam Johnson was a nightmare matchup for fours because his ability to stretch the floor, and you had to respect his ability to shoot, and if you collapse on him too much, he can drive past you and 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 put you on a poster. So, I I, I think those those three injuries are big, but I think the hardened injury is, is the biggest because if Embiid continues to miss time, and he's just recently coming back from a non-COVID related illness, you know that, that could be troublesome. Because then you only got Maxi and Harris out there leading the show, and you don't have your two top stars out there. But you can't afford the Eastern Conference where there is no night off anymore.
1: And I'm glad you mentioned that final, port, final part because, it, it, like you said, all the parts, you, all the points you made about the heart about James Harden and Philly, all. Very good points uh, to, to keep in mind. That, but you also talk about from a schedule perspective, especially when the Easter Conference, there's no there's no nights off. Everyone is doing their thing. When you're talking about the next few games for Toronto, right now they're playing the Bulls. And, yeah, they got a couple easy ones. We're talking about the Rockets on Wednesday and the Thunder on Friday and, you know, Indiana on Saturday. But after that, the next week or two, it, they got straight shooters too. They playing a young Detroit Pistons team who's shown a lot of promise. You play the Miami Heat next. And you got the Hawks. Then you got the Brooklyn Nets. Then you got the Dallas Mavericks. And you got the Cavs. You got the Pelicans. Brooklyn again before you even play someone like Orlando, who isn't no isn't a cakewalk because the way Paolo Bonacero is playing right now.
0: We're gonna get into that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not that's that's not a cakewalk for anyone to say nowadays going down to uh through Walt Disney uh, Walt Disney World, and then you come back and you play Boston in LA. So. Schedule-wise, it's not getting that much easier for Toronto for these next few weeks either. And if you're going through all that time without Pascal Siakam, you know, yeah, you're going to have some times where, you know, you actually might run into a lot of times where it may be close games. Pascal Siakam was your go-to for your close. That's your closer. If you if, if Scotty Barnes and Fred VanVleet don't step up in ways to where when it comes to those final seconds, they can come through and deliver, Toronto might... Tomorrow, Toronto has a chance to be on the wrong end of those games if they're not ready to play from the beginning of each of those matchups, especially when you talk about the, the tougher games moving forward. Because at least you have, if you have Pascal Siakam on your side, you have someone that can match the other opponent's star when it, and, a, and head-to-head combat. With that being taken away, it's going to have to be a lot more of a team effort, which we know in a Nick Nurse offense is very capable of doing. But it's a lot tougher when you don't have Pascal Siakam closing your games. So I'm not so so. It's definitely your point on Harden is very much true, but I can also it can also be in its own way be applicable depending on the situation of games to Toronto as well. Considering they got a tough they got a tough month of basketball coming up that
0: involve playing against the top five six teams in the, in each of their conferences. So with that being said, Josh, who you think need to step up on that roster for the, for the Raptors? Man, I, I know we brought up Scotty Barnes a guy who has been a two-way threat for them each and every night, t- definitely is taking his game to the next level after Captain Rookie of the Year honors. I know we talked about Christian Colopo, Fred VanVleet, his return. Well, who, who, who else got to step up over there, man, and have not talked about who you believe could provide them with a spark enough to make it through that rough stretch until Pascal finds a way to make it back on the court? I'm going to go with two people. One, you cannot forget about OG.
1: OG and the lobby, Come on now. That's as the way he what he brings to the table on both ends of the floor. You definitely cannot, especially as long as he stays healthy, you cannot dismiss what he brings to the table for the Raptors. But my keep, my, but my ideal pick, Gary Trent Jr. That dude got himself. Gary Trent Jr., you are a sniper in this league and have been known to score the ball effectively since you have arrived in the sixth. You got to make Drake happy now, brother. You got the dreads going on, the long dreads <laughs> going on with the headband and everything. You're rocking Drake's look out there on the court. You got to make your ambassador happy by dropping 20, 25 a game when necessary to keep this team afloat. And you have the skill set to, to do so ever since you came, really ever since you've been in Portland. But since you came from Portland to Toronto, you have shown that you, you are capable of doing it on a consistent basis. You have to step up that much more now, considering that your that your fearless leader is gone for the, for the time being. I
0: think he's the guy that needs to do it. Yeah, Gary Trent Jr., definitely not his pops, man, who was known for being a defensive uh, pest back in his day with Minnesota during the Kevin Garnett era for sure. He's definitely not his pops. No, no, you not get- at all.
1: You got to switch it up, though. You got to take some of that pop magic and put that into the put some of senior into that junior. You know what I'm saying? And take that yeah. to the next level. He wants to do that because they need that in order for them to keep themselves uh, together in these close games.
0: Pushing the show along for injury talk to discuss a player down in a Lone Star State who has begun the season going on the scoring bench, not seen since the days the association aired across black and white televisions. And that's Dallas Mavericks all-star guard, Luka Doncic. Fifth-year pro out of Slovenia, became just the fourth player since the merger to record 7,000 career points in less than 270 games. A couple of weeks ago, is averaging a near triple-double stat line this year for the Mavs, all the while continuing to make history on a game-by-game basis. As the 23-year-old standout leads the league, not only in player efficiency rating, but has also posted at least 30 points or more through the first eight games of the 2022-23 NBA season. Joining the late Hall of Fame center, Will Chamberlain is the only player ever in league history to open up the year with eight or more straight games of 30-plus points or more, as Dodgers recently put up a 33-8-6 stat line to help Dallas narrowly escape with a one-point victory against the Toronto Raptors last weekend. As it is recording right now, Josh, Luka Doncic currently leads the NBA in scoring. He's averaging 36 points per game from 36 and a half minutes per game on the year thus far, while also leading the league in rebounding among guards, falling down nearly nine rebounds per night. Mavs enter this week with a 5-3 record. They sit only a game and a half back behind the Suns for the top seed out in the Western Conference and are also tied atop of the league with the Boston Celtics for the best offensive rating in all of basketball right now. First, I got to ask you, Josh, before I ask you anything else, because we know he's among the top in the MVP talk. What's impressed you the most with Luca's hot start, man? Because they throwing all type of counters at him, but it just don't matter.
1: <laughs> nah, I mean that's, that's maybe that's what's that's what's more surprising. It don't matter what you throw at him. He's just so good that he could just you know waving him off like he's waving a gnat off of his body and just go to work. Like that's pretty much what it's looking like, and he's he's just unstoppable of a, of a player to guard. And what makes you what always makes Luca's game. So deadly is you never can rush him. He knows how to get to his point, his, his spots on the floor, and he knows what to do once he gets there. Once you have someone that thinks that far ahead of the game offensively, you are not going to stop him. It's why players like DeMar DeRozan are lasting so long in his league because he knows he knows, he knows knows exactly his skill set, where he's most effective at, where, and the spots he needs to go to to get the, get the job done. That's really what – and I think what makes that more impressive is that he's doing it at such a high rate without a Jalen Brunson by his side, who was so key a component uh, to that Dallas Mavericks team last season going to the Western Conference Finals. So I think that's what really stands out to me the most, is the fact that Luca's able to still do what he does at such a high clip, knowing that he doesn't – even though Spencer Dinwiddie is a great and a heck of a sidekick, he wasn't a Jalen Brunson compared to last year. And, you know, and yeah, I think that's what really stood out to me is the fact that he's able to do this at such a high clip without really changing much to his game, just being who he is at an efficient rate. That's what gets me the most.
0: Man, I've seen Luke alive twice and the energy around his game is different. But I had the pleasure of covering the guy on a freelance tip a couple years ago for the Houston Rockets when he was there. That's Jane Harden, who scored 32, who had 32 consecutive games where he scored at least 30 points or more. I would love to see Luka Doncic get that, chase that record. Wilt has the record for most consecutive games with 30 points or more. I think it's like 75, and I don't think anybody's hitting that. But if he could find a way to get close to that, I I definitely think you gotta you gotta give him the MVP to start out the year. What's impressed me the most with Luka Doncic, like you say, you can't speed him up and you can't slow him down, but he's finding a way to get it done right now in areas that you usually don't see him doing it as often in. We know he has that deadly step back. We know that he can. Pull up from anywhere on the floor. But, man, he playing bully ball right now. Pick and roll, I'm getting to the cup. If I get you on my back hip, I'm going to give you a little nudge so you can get up off me. That's two points. Everything that teams have tried to do to stop it, it has not worked. Like, Toronto, they tried to put double teams on this man. And even in the middle of double teams, he's still finding a way to find the open guys for buckets. Like, he had a play particularly, I want to say it was in the first quarter, and he was coming off of a screen, but before he took the screen, he used a jab step to kind of get Scotty Barnes out the picture. And then he forced Christian Coloco to come up on him. Then he drove past him. It forced Pascal Siakam to come up, who was protecting the paint kicked it out to Finney-Smith. Most guys would have forced that shot. Kicks it out to Finney-Smith in the corner, he knocks it down for a three in, in the right corner. Like, it's plays like that, that, you know, is what separates him from most guards. He, you, you, Like you said, you can't speed him up, you can't slow him down. And He's just getting to the rim, and, will, and he's finishing at an extremely high clip. He's finishing at a clip similar to Giannis, but he has, like, fewer shot attempts. Because he has a different shot diet than Giannis, who we know his game is predicated on attacking the paint and, and using his muscle at all costs. On him. so that's what's really impressed me the most with Luca, man, is that he's really figured it out, and he kind of like Neo in the Matrix right now. You know, <laughs> like if if you go, you, you you really can't um you can't go under on him. You really can't put the big on him. Cause once you got the big on you, pretty much through. And then if you if he gets you on the block, which he likes to do, which is something that James Harden doesn't do a lot of and didn't do in his prime, then you really done. If you a small guard, because he could just use his muscle without muscle. And and what's really impressed me too, he's in the best shape of his life. He was already playing like this out of shape, but now you see he's in shape after you know dominating in, in the Euro Cup you know, putting together solid games and performances there, man, he on another level right now. And in my opinion, he he damn sure in the top two for the MVP running, which brings me to my next question that I got to ask you, bro. Do you believe that Luka Doncic as of today is the NBA's most valuable player? And if not, you know, who's your pick? And you can tell us why. I think at
1: this point, you kind of have to you got to put uh, Luka Doncic at the number one at the number one MVP uh, slot. And I think what does it for me is you've mentioned, you know how he's like Neo in the Matrix right now. Well, at one point in time before Neo became Neo, he had to have some guidance to help to get him there, now with Morpheus. Jason Kidd has been the Morpheus for this Neo to a point where he is averaging rounding out nine assists a game on top of his 36 points a game, which yeah. is something that cannot go unnoticed because that's that He's not just running an offense from a scoring perspective. He's playmaking for other people. And those other people are capitalizing off of his playmaking skills, which is something we have to acknowledge for a 6-7 point guard in Luka Doncic. So to have that happening and your team is still over, above 500 in the winning category, there's only one other person I can maybe put in the competition with, it, with that right now. And that's Giannis himself. Who knows what it means to win two MVPs? Cause his his numbers is unreal right now, and the Bucks are undefeated. But for Luca to put the Mavs in the top in a top West position, five and three in the league with the numbers he's putting up, there's been a lot of talk in the past couple of years about oh, Luka should have won it last year. It was early beginning of the season. Luca's the MVP pick. You know, Luca's he's always his name has been mentioned in that MVP category and taking his game to the next level. Well, he hasn't taken a leap like he did this year. And this year is a completely different type of level of expectation that we had of Luca. where for us on the outside looking in, we're saying, okay, he's arrived now. This is the version of Luca that we needed to see on a consistent basis last year for him to get the MVP, MVP, MVP votes that he is going to get this year if he maintains this. That's where this year you got to give him his props because just like Giannis elevated every year, he has elevated every year, including this year, not just in scoring, but doing it in an efficient way and not forcing things like like he did last year, trusting his teammates to where he's getting nine assists a game. That's what's going to help take the massing to the next level, and i got to give Jason Kidd, the Morpheus of this offense, his props for that because Luca last year wouldn't do that. Now that Luca has, you have to give Jason Kidd credit for putting it in his ear like, yo, you have to trust your teammates. And the teammates are coming through from him in race that they didn't last year either.
0: And before I make my point, you know, adding to Josh's point, does anybody who's listening to this find it kind of ironic, if you're sitting back watching this at home, don't you kind of find it a little bit ironic that Jason Kidd played a role in development of two of the main guys in which we're talking about? in the running for the MVP award right now because prior to Jason Kidd going to Dallas and taking a head coaching job there, of course he started out his head coaching career with the Nets, but he also went to Milwaukee where he got his hands on a young Giannis, and he put the ball in on his hands at a time when most coaches wouldn't and said, hey, young fella, learn how to play this point guard position and set guys up and I'm going to let you make your mistakes, but you're going to grow and you're going to get better. And I think that that's played a role into what we've seen over the last several seasons with him. In my opinion, if he keep this up, yeah, they're they not going to have a choice but to give it to him. I've always felt like Luka Doncic is a player who, because of the fascination that the media has with him, and understandably so, as much as the hype was kind of questioned by me before he arrived stateside, even though on the clips, he looked like he was, as good as advertised now that he's shown it and shown it consistently. This might be his time. He's damn sure on pace to lead the, the league is score. That's a given at this point if he continues to get to it like he has been. And that three ball at some point in time will continue to fall. But like this dude don't even need a screen, man. Like he, and I said that he took a screen earlier. No, he actually rejected the ball screen on Scott. He's like, hold up, no, I got this. You know, like this, this dude, I, I, I'm I, impressed with what I'm seeing, man, because you don't see that often. And I don't think your average fan truly understands how hard it is to get 30 points every single night, Look every coffee. single night. This man is a walking 30 piece. And not only that, he literally guarantees you a top 10 offense year in and year out with his production alone. I've only been able to say that about a handful of players in the league over the last twenty plus years: LeBron James, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, being the other four. Luke is in that.
1: You're not gonna add
0: Kobe. Well, like, Kobe, and yeah, you you could put Kobe in there as well if we're talking last twenty years. Let me let me not forget Kobe. Rest in peace to the marvel. But but at the same time, like. Just watching or I, I should have said within the last decade rather. Like because if you really if you really think about it, the twenty tens is when we really started to see a lot of these offenses start to evolve and space and became way more important than ever before in the game. Right. And with guys like Luca, with this abundance of space, they can do whatever they want. Especially when you combine that with the with the rules defensively. But yeah, I mean, he getting it done in so many ways. He, he even he even facing guys up right now. It's like a game to him. It's really like it's really like a a, a video game to him. And he can get wherever he wants. And he's even trying new shots in the middle of the game. You saw him take a, a running hook shot the other night. Yep. Like I, I, I it looked like he bored at this so, even against Brooklyn. He throwing passes behind his back and whatnot. I. Personally though, if 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 Giannis is the favorite for MVP, I can't necessarily reject it. I mm. think he does need more consideration. My only thing is, is have voters gotten tired of it? Because we know how this MVP process works. Nobody gets the Larry Bird treatment anymore. He's the last guy to win three MVPs consecutively, and that was back in the 80s before we had social media and all this stuff. So Oh yeah, they
1: they they got. They got voter fatigue. They tired of putting Giannis in that realm. They, they said it's time to put someone else. You know, he already had his good run. He had his two, his two MVPs. We'll keep it moving. But you talk about you, what Luka's going to be doing and what he's been doing on the court. As we're recording this, this, uh, this, this episode right now, he plays Brooklyn tonight. Do you know how much his man is averaging against Brooklyn alone? My man, my man is averaging 41 against Brooklyn with 14 assists while shooting 50% from the field and 33 from three. You, you, that's just, um, I guess, one team all by itself. That's a, and that's not even a comparison to what he's already doing around the league in general. If he's already, if he's already had a plate of ribs that he already ate throughout the whole league so far... He's like, oh yeah, double them up. I'm licking the bones. I need more when it comes to Brooklyn because boy, he's gonna have a field day with no Kyrie and what they got going on over there. They're not the fully the team's not fully healthy yet. I want to see what I, I I would love to see what Luka's gonna do because he's talking about averaging 41 against that team. He might get y'all. They might get 50
0: piece tonight if he keeps playing the way he is. They might get 50 piece tonight. I'm gonna say this after seeing them two teams meet up the first meeting of the year in Brooklyn about a, a week or so ago, I wouldn't be shocked because like they had Patty Mills on him, bro. Get caught <laughs> up on him. And he was just backing him down on the block. Like it was recess. Like as, you, as we say, playing ball mouse in the house. That's exactly what it was. Yep. And he was getting hurt so bad. It was like, why are you not sending the help? And at the time, Steve Nash was the coach. Right, like, but I, I we were talking about that amongst ourselves. But I I, I can't. Yeah, like if he played Brooklyn like eighty two games out the year, yeah, he probably would put up forty or fourteen every single night. Defense need work, and it's like a he got an eye pass to the to the um to the hole pretty much. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's easy money for him, man. Barbecue chicken, barbecue chicken. <laughs> but I want to move on. Before we get into the closing segments of the show, we'll talk about one young player. You know, college basketball season just tipped off, mm-hmm. right? The guy that, you know, came out of Duke last year, number one overall pick in the 2022 NBA
2: draft, making oh. a lot
0: of noise right now. And Paulo Bonquero. if you don't know nothing about him, he's averaging 22.9 points per game, eight and a half boards at night and three .6 assists to start the year for the Orlando Magic in his first season. This dude just had like a 30-10 and 10 game against Sacramento. I think he was the first teenager since LeBron James to do that. That's exclusive company. Mm-hmm. No rookie has been named to the All-Star game since Blake Griffin back in 2011. I'm going to ask you real quick before we get to the closing segment, John. Do you think Harlo Blancaro will be the next rookie to make it into the all-star game. Because oh. he's playing out his mind right now. And he's not oh. even shooting the ball that well.
1: Oh man. Oh, you know I'm a man of hot takes. I would love to say yes to that answer. But I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say no. Okay, um, <laughs> just because, just because. The league's gonna find somebody to take on that type of role. It, the only, the only person to me that had a chance of doing any of that prior to Paolo was Zion Williamson, because the hype around that guy, putting him in an All Star game. Oh, you want to talk about selling tickets? Oh, it would have been a, it would have been a whole entire show. They would have wanted to happen, but it didn't happen. Paulo Benchero is not a he's not is not a Zion from a box office perspective, and I think in order to have a rookie in the in the All Star game, they would want someone of that magnitude to get there. Considering that you know it's about entertainment and sales, so I would think they would want you know they wouldn't go that far for him per se, but they'll go for someone else that was that was bringing in the ratings like that. That being said. Apollo is somebody I still would want to watch. I would love to watch on TV every day because that brother's skill is ridiculous. He is literally a mirror to me of Carmelo 2.0. That is someone who, when you get the ball, (laughs) good luck. It's it's, 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 it's the same way that young Melo and Denver was doing. Eye you down, give give you the jab moves, putting you in the right position. Doesn't have to do too much with the ball, but does enough to be effective. And to get a bucket every time he touches the ball in the way that he moves, it just gives young, young Carmelo Anthony vibes. And that was someone that took the Denver Nuggets from a no win team to a playoff team within his first couple of years in the league. And at one point made the Western Conference Finals. So Orlando definitely has a player, excuse me, that has that capability compared with the other young players that are in Orlando or that are in Orlando right now that are that can still make some noise. But that's definitely my rookie of the year pick right now. He's definitely my rookie of the year that's a given. But all-star, ooh, as much as I want to say yes, I can't I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I can't do it, man. I think I think he'll make some noise enough this year, but I don't think he's gonna get into the hump to go that far.
0: He may not be as big as Zion Williamson yet as far as box office popularity, but I think it might come sooner rather than later if he continues to play like he has. The thing that's so scary about it is he's not even shooting that well for three-point land, but he's doing a hell of a job using his physicality, especially when it comes to getting his shoulder and the smaller players, creating separation you know, on his mid-range shots, which he's been using to terrorize guys. And the one thing I like, too, about him is we know he was able to do it in Duke, but he wasn't doing it as frequently as he's doing it with Orlando. And on an NBA floor where there's so much space, taking advantage of guys, and that's in the pick-and-roll game. And we saw that, you know, to a great degree during the second quarter, the other night against Sacramento, when he was creating off of the dribble and using that as a way to get free, creating separation, and keeping defenders off of balance. And I think he plays with a poise that you don't typically see a lot of rookies play with. Like, he's 11 of 33 on mid-range jumpers, as I have the numbers up right now. And he's made only 9 of 39 three-pointers. And that's an area that he's gonna have to get some consistency on. But at the same time, man, if you watch these games, you know you're watching something special. And I think Orlando got a tremendous young core around him. Franz Wagner, Bo Bo has come on as a big yeah. Carter. Jalen Suggs had a big game against the the Warriors and a win last week. This is a team to watch out for. But the thing that that strikes me so interesting with him, man, is like. How he fits in with the team either way, like on, on the ball, off the ball. And a lot of teams are starting to go under when it comes to like defending him when it, like from the three-point line. when that three-point shot started falling, it's really gonna get scary. Cause it like he like he his his debut against Detroit was impressive. Like he he put up 25 plus in that night. Yeah. So I I he ain't no rookie, man, and, and I would not be surprised if he did get to the All Star game. Because if he continues to put up numbers like this, I think the the stats only go up as the year goes along. Going into February in Utah, and somebody's gonna have to say, "Hey, uh, coach," is gonna be like, "Hey, we gotta make a case for this guy. Like we can't, we can't knock him off." And it helps him probably too that guys like Chris Middleton are out to start the year. Play
1: his position. Yeah, that's true. That 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 is very true. paulo Benro is just a, a hell of an athlete to watch, man. He's a special talent, and Orlando got it right by picking him instead of Jabari Smith or so Chet Holgrim was was rumored that they were going to go after those guys inside, instead of Apollo. So it shows that right now they made the right move. But uh. I think it's, I wonder how that locker room is going right now, considering that it is college basketball season just opened up and you got Cole Anthony representing the Tar Heels on your team and you're the Duke player that comes in along with Wendell. You know, I wonder how you're making that triangle work down there in the Walt Disney world, because you know, college basketball officially back. You got two people at least Chan and Duke over there and Cole Anthony repping, repping his pops uh, and everything with Greg Anthony. who's playing the league. You know, he's repping that right. Tar Heel blue baby. So I, I just wonder how things gonna be working down there in Orlando in that locker room when it comes to that, but that's the one thing. It's working right now on the court because Orlando's looking pretty good, even though they may not have won all the games. They looked pretty good as a court, as a young core together. That's gonna make some noise, and another team in the Eastern Conference that you know it's not gonna be really a pushover any given night.
0: I'm pretty sure them guys gonna have some side bets going down once March Madness comes along because you bring <laughs> up the Duke New- North Carolina tobacco roll right where you know. And you also got Jalen Suggs coming from a Blue Blood as well in Gonzaga. so, And then you got Franz Wagner from Michigan. Like, I'm pretty sure they're they going to have a lot of bits going on in that locker room. March this time and having some fun with it. But they definitely are a young, intriguing core to watch out for, led by Paulo Buncaro. If you haven't watched him yet, you need to. But I want to ask you before we get into closing segments on the show here, which teams and players have stood out to you the most thus far? Um, that we haven't talked about.
1: That we haven't talked about.
0: Yeah, like in full detail.
1: <laughs> Cleveland, man, the way them Cavs is moving. You know, we, I, we obviously we missed Darius Garland for most of the beginning of the season. He only played, yeah. I think, half of the game and the, half the first game. And he just recently came back. But you, and you wondered how that would work. Cause Donovan Mitchell, he just, he just carried the load ever since like, this is my team. I'm running this thing. And it makes, you know, that makes sense. So you wanted to see how Donovan Mitchell was going to pair up with Darius Garland at backcourt when they're both fully healthy. But man, they are moving. They are, they're, they're making that, they're really well. They're making that thing work. And it's J.B. Bickerstaff <laughs> is doing his thing, coaching this young team. And you know we always knew that Cleveland was on the rise, but that pickup with Donovan Mitchell, if everything was going to go smoothly. Was the was the pickup that they needed to take things to the next to that take them to that next level and make some noise? And they're definitely doing that in the Eastern Conference now. You see, um, defensively, they're a nightmare between Evan Mosley and you know Jared Allen. They are killing it in the, ba- in the in the paint, holding it down. There is Garland's emerging uh, back into All Star form. Jonathan Mitchell's already in All-Star form, and you know you still got your role players that's playing well too. Kevin Love is doing is playing great coming off the bench. Um, you uh, you got, I, I forgot his name. I want to say you got Seti, Seti uh Osman. Os- um, yeah, he's coming off the bench doing this thing. Oh, Coral's doing this thing. You got a lot of players that are playing their roles very very well, and that all not just that doesn't just come from an understanding from player to player player to coaching staff and J.B. Pickens staff is doing an amazing job in coaching his team and getting them really competitive throughout the early beginning parts of this season and not just early being and not just being competitive but winning games It's a different Cleveland team than it has been in the years since LeBron James left for the third second or third time <laughs> third time <away.
0: laughs> second time <laughs> yeah you know, he had yeah two, yeah he had two stints over there but I, I like Cleveland. That's the team we talked about last week. I, I, I like them, and they continually, to the feel, you know, putting up big wins against the Lakers, facing the Clippers mm-hmm. later on this evening on the night of the, um, the day that we're recording the Open Run podcast this week. But one guy that stood out to me that we haven't talked about, I'm, I'm going to keep it with a player, because we've been talking a lot about our players this particular episode. That's Desmond Bang. Mm. In the bang right now, man, shooting hell out the basketball. He's doing more with increased volume. And you don't typically see that from a lot of players. He's taking more three pointers per game, but he's shooting like uh, over a couple days ago. I think I saw the stats where he would shoot like forty over 45% from three. And then he's putting up a, a near 25, 5 and 5 stat line. And I think he's emerged as the Grizzlies second star next to Dom Morant. Whoever would have thought that for a guy who was selected with the last overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft, a guy who I believe would have went higher had he had the benefit of playing in an NCAA tournament that got cut short due to COVID a couple years ago when he was at TCU. I don't understand how this guy wasn't on a lot of scouts' radar. I just don't. He does all the little things right. And he's a guy that's not just an off-ball threat. He's proven that he can make plays with the ball in his hands. And he's gotten better as a playmaker each and every year. He always reminded me a little bit of Eric Gordon with his physique and his frame mm-hmm. coming into the league. I, I see that even more now in Memphis. And he's a guy, if he continues to play like this, I know we said Paulo Boncaro may be an all-star, is, is a rookie. I think that Desmond Bain will be a lot to make the all-star game because he's a guy that the national media needs to start paying a lot more attention to if they have not already. He had a big time coming out year last season. And in my opinion, if it wasn't for politics and how certain play, how certain voters rather view the most improved player of the year award, I think he'd have had, it. and he was deserving of it a lot last year. And he's picking up right where he left off down in Memphis.
1: That's, that's a pretty bold statement, brother. He's making them an all star this year, but hey, I, I can definitely see where it's coming from. And rightfully so, Memphis is rolling right now, too. And it's exactly. John Marantz, And then John Morant's not the only one that's putting up those big numbers. Desmond Bain is doing his thing. Dylan Brooks is doing his thing as a recent as well. So, uh, you definitely, Memphis is a team that we got to start respecting more in the deep run discussions, considering that they have the talent to do so.
0: Indeed. And We got a lot of games this week. Currently, all teams across the NBA are active. There are no games, of course, on Tuesday in honor of Election Day. Make sure, you know, if you haven't went out there and voted, that you did once this podcast comes to you. If you haven't, at least, you know, take the time out to see who your elected officials may be so you know what to do next go round. But I want to ask you, what's the game to watch this week for you?
1: Oh, that's easy money, Sniper. That's easy money. I'm <laughs> going with the Cavs and the Golden State Warriors Friday night. I'm going to okay. see. I like that I- pick. I want to see what uh Steph Curry does against the young Darius Darling. And I want to see if Donovan Mitchell goes to the Bay Area, snaps off on, his, on, on a team that he's always had a hard time going getting over the hump with in his previous playoff runs during this time in Utah. So I'm going to see how they fare up. Um, with the firepower that like Golden, Golden State, even though they've been struggling, Golden State is not completely dead. So I want to see how they, how that those matchups uh play out.
0: I'm taking the time to look at the schedule right now. I got a couple for you. Wednesday, we can, you got two players that we just talked about. If you haven't seen them, you need to see them. Dallas is in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Luca Doncic gets against Paulo Banquero. I don't think that I don't think that uh needs any discussion. I think that's the game that a lot of people need to have their eyes on. Dallas is the hottest offense in all of basketball besides the Boston Celtics right now. They lead the league in offensive rating. Orlando, they came within a a half-court miracle shot from De'Aaron Fox of beating the Kings, who have been rather hot after a slow start in the West, beat the defending world champions in Orlando when they came to visit on their road trip. I think that's the game you want to see. I'm not going to give you a traditional game, you know, the national TV game, but Cleveland and Golden State is definitely a game that you should be tuned into. I'm shocked that that's not on the national schedule, by the way. And Golden State's undefeated at home, and that's one of the toughest environments to play in in, in in San Francisco. I want to see that game solely because I want to see how long Cleveland can keep up this winning streak. They've won, what, eight in a row since opening night? and They so. lost Darius, and Darius just came back last week. From his eye injury and that big-time win against Boston, that, that's going to be a big game as well. But I got Dallas and Orlando for you on Wednesday night. That's a game you need to check out. And another and, I, and thing, that, another thing that you probably should check out, if you look at the schedule this week, regardless who they play, is the Utah Jazz. Because they, for real, they moving their ball. Guys are playing within their roles. They, they're not seeking to force anything. And Will Hardy got this tape clicking on all levels. I know we've been saying the plan ain't went according to plan. I'm starting to think they out the victor when Bayama sweet State right now, as well as School Henderson. They look at like a team that wanna get to the playoffs.
1: That's true. <laughs> to people. Yep, that is definitely true. And, and and a game that sticks out to me when it comes to Utah. They play Philadelphia in Philly in the city of Burley Love on Sunday. Yep. I want to see exactly how they how uh you know how they match up with uh James Harden less. Uh, 76ers, man, and what we talked about with them before, you know, I'm going to see how they fare out, so that's going to be a good matchup to watching something that, from a Utah Jazz perspective, I for sure will definitely be trying to check out.
0: For sure. Definitely want to thank everybody who took out the time to listen to yet another edition of the Open Run Podcast presented to you by War Media. Make sure to check out our War Media page on the YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. Just recently had a show with our producer Saul Rodriguez, the host of the FBAT podcast with Miles Porter, talking about the White Sox hiring of Pedro Gafal, the 2022 World Series, and so much more. If you haven't checked that out, you need to check that out. Check us out for Bears pre- and post-game coverage after every game and, and much more. You can also make sure to check us out every Wednesday coming to you. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man Josh Hicks, we out.